This episode was made possible by our incredible patrons. Their faithful support allows us to continue the work of amplifying the voices of spiritual abuse survivors. We are a small team composed of two families. We committed early on to not monetizing any of the stories, so we rely solely on the donations of our Patreon community to operate. If you value the work and are able to contribute, you can join for as little as $5 a month. Another way to support Bodies Behind the Bus is by following, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It only takes a moment, but has a tremendous impact on our reach. Thank you for daring to listen. Today's episode is going to contain content related to child sexual abuse, clergy sexual abuse, and sexual assault. So we wanted to have a content warning that if you need to skip this episode, please do so. I hope if any of you are survivors that are out of the SBC, that you know that you are worth so much more than how you have been treated and you deserve protection and you deserve justice. Hello, I'm Jonna Harris, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. Today, we have an at the bus stop conversation for you. Jay and I sit down and we talk through some of the headlines that are coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention and how they connect and what we can do about it, how it affects many more people than even just the people named, survivors, American citizens. Really, the roots go so deep and the web is so connected. It's important that we all have our eyes on this and it's really easy to miss if you are not online and following specific journalists or specific people within the convention. So make sure you check out the source material here. We have linked tweets. We have linked articles. We have linked an amicus brief so you can actually go look at the court filings. Those are going to dig in really deep. Our conversation is going to be a little bit more zoomed out and kind of just the high level bullet points of what's going on and what you need to know about. With that, I'm Jonna Harris, and this is At the Bus Stop by the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I'm starting. <laughs> sorry, Jonna changed her hair, throwing me <laughs> off today. So off my game. Hello. I don't know what to do. Um <laughs> So it's just me and Jana, and I guess the new Jana. I don't know what to call her anymore with her new hair color. Dark so. mode, Jana. <laughs> um, dark, dark mode, which is appropriate for this conversation. Yeah. So we wanted to jump on and just have a brief convo about the SBC and all of the lovely things that seem to be happening within that organization r- right now. And I use that with uh, lovely, with sarcastic tones to it. But but I think it's important maybe just to touch base, Jana, because you spend a lot of time on this, I know, and uh, I get... Uh, you send me a lot of stuff, and everything you send me, it makes my stomach uh, s- sick, yeah. basically. And what, like, let's talk about it real quick. What is going on right now with this whole amicus brief thing? Uh, back us up just real briefly. What is that? And then kind of move us forward to where we are right now. Yeah. So I'm going to touch on this briefly, like Jay said, but we'll put a couple links in the show notes. So if anybody wants to dig deeper into the repercussions of something like this, they can. I do believe all of us should be aware of it because we have no idea how many of these things are just floating out there. But very high level. 
In Kentucky, there's currently a case in their Supreme Court where there's a survivor of child sexual abuse that is trying to lengthen the statute of limitations so that she can get justice from people that should have reported her abuse but did not. So these are third-party mandatory reporters that were aware but did not do their job in protecting her as a child. Multiple amicus briefs have been filed. Those are briefs. Jay and I wanted to make sure we were correct with how we said this. Jay, do you want to read? Just like opinions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems like from what it is, it's just more like uh, people that aren't directly linked in the case, but are experts or have expertise and can provide context for the case. So those briefs, if I'm messing that up, a lawyer can email me and tell me. (laughs) But uh, those briefs have been filed on behalf of the person that has put the case in Kentucky, correct? Yeah. Uh, the former. So there's multiple yeah. briefs that were kind of on behalf, like Jay said, bolstering the argument for expanding the statute of limitations. If you're listening to this, you probably think that sounds good. There's multiple reasons why people that are bringing up policy, writing policy and legislation surrounding child sexual abuse are all in favor of lengthening the statute of limitations for a whole host of reasons. One of those being it's a deterrent from child sexual abusers because they know that that's not just going to go away in a couple years. There could be a lifetime of consequences if this person reports. One party that was multiple entities coming together filed against the idea of lengthening the statute of limitations. And you can probably guess who that's going to be. It is entities of the Southern Baptist Convention. So their dun, dun, yeah, dun. their argument is they don't they have active litigation in the state of Kentucky. If you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time or if you're aware of evangelical goings on, it's been a really big deal that there have been multiple lawsuits, multiple sexual abuse scandals that have come to light in the past years. A lot of those are in litigation now. They have active cases being litigated in Kentucky. And so if this law does not go through and the statute of limitations is not expanded, then they don't have to worry about litigating those cases anymore. They just go away. So those survivors that are fighting for their day in court and hopefully for justice are being thwarted through this completely unrelated case. So not only are they harming the survivors that have experienced alleged abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention, but they are harming this survivor who's actively seeking justice in her case, but they're willing to throw her away and run over her in order to protect their own image and their own assets. This is widespread because if this amicus brief affects what the Supreme Court decides regarding the statute of limitations, that means that All survivors of child sexual abuse in the state of Kentucky are all affected by not having that statute of limitations expanded. So it's really, really, really wicked, like some of the most wicked stuff I've heard out of a denomination. Yeah, I don't know with this denomination, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like they can... uh... Seems like that list is growing for them. Not for all of them, but for the upper echelons, it just seems like, wow, it's just super, super evil. So, and this is also probably directly impacts them too because of the guidepost report that came out. A lot of them would be on the hook here as those third parties who did nothing when abuse was happening within their churches. Yes. 
So a majority, I mean, there are multiple predators that have been outed from the Southern Baptist Convention that were the actual perpetrators. But the list of people in the upper ranks or pastors, upper ranks of churches and or entities within the SBC that were aware of abuse seems like it's growing by the day. Like it's like so many people are complicit at this point in covering up this crisis of sexual abuse that is just decades long. It's really gross. So I know they had a big convention. I'm still waiting for my invite (laughs) uh, for the next one. And so, but I know they had a convention and this was, this was something that was discussed. They have a new president. I think his name is Bart. Yeah. Bart, correct. Bart Barber. Bart Barber. Right? What what was his what was his response to or what has been his response to this? So the amicus brief was not discussed at the convention. That is kind of news okay. in the last couple months since their last annual meeting. But they discussed um, what to do about the guidepost report at the yes. meeting. Right. So everything that was discussed and voted on by messengers, we are finding means nothing. So anything that's come out of those annual meetings has amounted to nothing. I do think there are well-meaning people trying their hardest to get some real reform and protections put in place. But by and large, I I don't think anyone's moving the needle on anything. There's stuff that goes way back, like this idea of the database that came out that was really pushed and has been continuing to like gain momentum and was voted on and we're told we're going to have this database so that predators can't be jumping from church to church within the convention. We have nothing. It's like a non-starter. It hasn't happened. And also the messengers at one point recently voted that we were not going to impede survivors from seeking justice. So what happened with this amicus brief? (laughs) Is literally in direct (laughs) defiance of what the messengers voted. And it makes no sense. It's crazy making. I have spent months, probably the last year, trying to understand how the SBC works. What strings can you pull to actually make change? And I've realized like it's purposely been created to not everybody can kind of shift the blame for everything. So there's really no string you can pull to actually make a change. Yeah. I always find that odd because it's like when I read the guide purse report and it's been a while since I've read it, it's just, I mean, everybody should read it. It's really hard to get through. It's long, but it's, it's worth your time to read it. But what's, what always struck me is like sick is that the executive committee and so forth, the leadership would be like, we can't do anything, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure nothing comes out. And like, that's, that's what I'm getting like this current vibe right now. And I remember from the meeting that the messengers were pretty avid about this has to be a priority. And now it just doesn't seem like it is. So what was Bart doing? I mean, I saw his Twitter uh, was kind of ridiculous. He made some crazy, crazy statements. What his, his, what has his reaction been to filing? No, has he had a reaction to (laughs) it? So. Like I said, it's been a couple months now, and it's been pretty much radio silence. What we got out of Bart, who is the president, who unfortunately has been a gigantic letdown. I think he was really he has been helpful to some survivors in Texas, like he's helped create legislation that has protected and helped survivors get justice, I think, and kind of barred them from perpetrators from being able to continue 
So there's this kind of big push with Bart, like, oh, this is going to be the answer to abuse reform. And he is not. He said, basically, I signed off on the amicus brief in a moment of feeling rushed is basically what he said. Long, Like, I shouldn't have done that. I just want to stop right there because that is really the full contents, in my opinion. You can go read it yourself of his entire statement from when the amicus brief came out. But for me, if you mess up at that level and you're a president of an organization as large as the Southern Baptist Convention, if you're just signing off on major legal decisions, that's a step down or be removed from position mistake, in my opinion. Would would you agree, Jay? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I I would have to go back and read the whole thing for him. But like to me, you know, as a president, you know what's coming across your desk. And if you need more time to review something that has such big implications for not only this particular individual in Kentucky, but for your entire really for everything that you're pushing for, if you say you are pushing for this reform, you do need to take some time to really think through that. And if you're going to vote, you're going to go the opposite direction of what you indicated uh, your priority was, then better have some damn good reasoning for do it for doing it other than being rushed. Mm-hmm. So I, it is an interesting response. It's not a surprising response, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it was a different response for sure. But And if I got a chance to talk to him, I'd probably ask him why. But I don't think that'll ever happen. So how does this tie in? How does this tie into? So you sent me this thing and I read it and I thought it was sick. So this guy, Paul Pressler, he used to be, I don't know what his title was, but it's like you can't say his name. Like no one can say his name anymore, evidently. But he was high up there within the executive committee for a long time. And the SBC, what, what was, do you know what his official title was? He's been described to me as kind of the puppet master of the conservative resurgence. And I'll just okay. tell listeners right now that the conservative resurgence to me, I'm still trying to understand all of the moving pieces that created that monster. So I don't really want to get too into it. But basically, he and Paige Patterson are kind of the puppet masters that created this centralization of power within the Southern Baptist Convention. The idea that the executive committee has more power, has financial decision-making power, all of that came out of the conservative resurgence, which was really, on the surface, a response to a liberal drift in the Southern Baptist Convention. So things became like, we all have to align with this way of thinking, or you cannot be in fellowship with the Southern Baptist Convention. So I know the article you sent me, which we can post, but it's a really fascinating article. There's actually two. One is on the Texas Tribune. I think they're both Mm -hmm. on there. Talk about that there was um, someone who came forward and accused Pressler of sexual assault, that there was a lawsuit that was filed in him back uh, against Pressler. Anyways, and then... it seems, according to this article, that Pressler has a history or alleged history of this and that in the guidepost report that this was actively covered up by a longtime law firm that worked with the SBC executive committee, Pressler, and that Pressler has some tie-ins to this particular law firm who's also connected to like GOP activism in the state of Texas and across the nation. So like, that to me is a whole bunch of stuff right there. It's so right? Like much. It, I can't I can't help 
connect my brain and go like, and I don't know this, so I'm just completely saying this, like knowing what, why they said no to this, uh, you know, amicus brief and this lawsuit that's going on at the Supreme Court level in Kentucky, like, does it have like political ties across, like, does it have political ties in general for the SBC? Because the SBC is conservative, it's white, and it aligns perfectly with uh, the Republican Party. And we know that they drift that way sometimes. Well, they drift that way a Mm -hmm. lot. Anyways, I don't know. Like, it just seems like there's just a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on here. And like, I just can't help but think like, it still goes back to like, if we're about Jesus and the church, then this right here is so wicked and evil and so far from Jesus then it speaks more to where our heart is as a church at the at the level that the SBC is right now. And I'm not talking about all churches when the SBC, I'm talking specifically about the executives and the leadership team. It speaks volumes about where their heart is as an organization. And that is if we if we think we believe in Jesus or we we do still believe in Jesus when we go to churches, it should break us. And we should be lamenting for justice and for these people to be held accountable. Yeah. And you would think that would be really easy. Softball toss. It's very easy, right? Thing when something like this is exposed. So what Jay is talking about is Robert Downen, incredible reporter. Really, he has exposed so much of the darkness in the Southern Baptist Convention. And without his work, I think we would be years behind in starting to uncover some of this stuff. He posted a thread that really outlined emails between the attorney and individuals in the Southern Baptist Convention Basically, it shows that people knew there was like pretty credible accusations, multiple accusations against Pressler. And they basically were like working on how to how to most cover that up. So it really just showed that these places where there's kind of this plausible deniability, like maybe they didn't know or who actually knew more than likely way more people knew specifically about Pressler than not. What's extra gross is this law firm that Jay's been talking about. They were feeding Pressler male young male assistants. In the article, that's why he didn't have a salary. Yeah. They fed him. They gave him assistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was abusing them. Yeah. It's really gross. Allegedly abusing them. Yeah, I don't know if he was I mean, I don't, I don't know if the article listed he abused. I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, the article, I can't remember if the article said that he abused the assistants, but the abuse was happening during that time, some way or the other. I mean, yeah, it's a bit, the t- I read one article. There's, there's another out there. We can link to both, but, but it is, it is fast. Well, it's not fascinating. It's disgusting, but it also, it allows you to see why they would be responding like this. Mm-hmm. It's, all because connected. I've always believed it's all connected, but I've also believed like guidepost was like the tip of the iceberg and below it was a lot more filth. And the more people dig, the more they're going to find. I I found in the, the Twitter thread that you gave me, Jonna, the which was was that the reporter yeah, who was tweeting that was. Robert down? All right. Yeah, he's yeah, he's outstanding. I found that some of the, and this stuff was from Guidepost, but some of the email exchanges when they're talking specifically about uh, the case against Pressler or the lawsuit that came against Pressler, just the ease of use of like 
navigating how to dismiss that or kind of turn away from it was just sick. It's just sick that this is like where we're at, you know, back in that time period. Like this is how they thought. And these are men that are supposed to be thinking of, remember with the SBC, it's about evangelism and reaching all people for Jesus. And that is their priority. And this is what we think of like, this is really what they think behind the scenes. And it's just very enlightening. It's worth diving into more in depth because I do feel like for the SBC, for it to exist in any, and this is my opinion, for it to exist in any type of uh, specific construct right in the future and be credible, it has to openly deal with this and and lament it, but also then build back or, or make reparations for this somehow because it's it's disgusting. Yeah. It's, it's the pit of hell stuff. Well, and I think it's easy. So if you believe in it. <laughs> and I think it's... <laughs> I think it's really easy to for in particular Southern Baptists probably to compartmentalize like that was a couple bad apples and we're in a new a new era right now. But the problem is then you have to realize that stuff like this amicus brief in Kentucky is happening and it's the next iteration of what we're seeing and what we've seen with Pressler. So it's not changing in the fact that the roots are image management and cover up. It's everything at the expense of, I'm using air quotes, mission. Humans are at the expense of mission and power. Honestly, it's not just power. It's not just mission. It's power and money. There's so many things that are combined in this to make it so corrupt. But something that was really fascinating. So right before that Robert Downen thread dropped, Bart Barber, again, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, made a statement, which he hasn't made any statements for a little while. And everybody's been just kind of hounding Barber online and the executive committee. What are you doing about this amicus brief? Pull the brief, pull the brief and file in support. Like this is very basic justice minded. Like if you love Jesus, you can see that for what it is. It's wicked. But we've just gotten silence aside from Bart being like, yes, I signed it in a rush. Whoops. Bart makes this statement that is basically, I'm making a statement to tell you guys why I'm not making statements. And the substance of the statement was, I'm tired of saying things without actions. So I don't want to add to the side of the ledger where there's words anymore. So I'm not going to say anything about any of this. And that's it. There was no, here's what I'm doing, and once that comes to fruition, here's the changes I'm making. Here's the things that I'm working towards behind the scenes. It was just, I'm not going to say anything. Then this Robert Down and Thread drops, and it's like the easiest softball toss of pastors. Southern Baptist Convention leaders should be actively speaking out, saying the names, saying, we were wrong. Like we platformed Pressler. We platformed people like Paige Patterson. Like we have some serious issues here internally, structurally, because of the things that these men helped to build within our convention. Nothing. Zero. Complete silence. And I'm not expecting a statement from him because he's not making statements unless he's doing something. And I don't think he's doing anything. (laughs) So that all happened. Also, a weird aside, if anybody's like watching events going on 
again, this is all happening within the last couple months. It's rapid fire. Things are going down in the SBC. The attorney for the SBC got onto Twitter and kind of had a meltdown and did some like PR image management stuff. That was bizarre. Like, I've never seen anything like that before, ever, especially at the level of profession that he's at and the, like, enormity of the Southern Baptist Convention and the things that they are dealing with litigiously. It just was mind-blowing. So I really think we're watching kind of a tailspin right now of... All of these things are culminating. The Guidepost report happened. The Houston Chronicle happened before that. Guidepost report. Then we have messengers responding in a way that seems optimistic for a future towards reform or at least safeguards. But then all of this stuff just bam, 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 bam is breaking to show all of that centralized power that came from the puppeteering of Patterson and Pressler is actually not doing the things that the messengers are asking for and saying. So I was trying to flesh this out a little bit before Jay and I got on the call with a friend who really understands the inner workings of the SBC. And I said, to me, it seems like there's this war happening right now where the conservative resurgence happened. And that was all done under the guise of biblical inerrancy. So, you know, we have the civil rights movement going on, women's liberation, And all of a sudden, the church has to grapple with where does the church fit into these movements happening in our country? Like, what side do we land on? Well, the conservative resurgence really pushed this idea of biblical inerrancy to keep the Southern Baptist Convention from supporting some of these things happening in the civil rights movement and supporting the liberation of women, to be honest with you. So... Under that umbrella, they have really kept this idea of we have the right interpretation of the Bible and any of these, I'm using air quotes, liberal agendas, whether like right now it would probably be it's for sure women in leadership right now is one of the main ones. But there's also like the LGBTQ plus movement. Any of that, this liberal agenda is not biblical. So we won't even anybody who's even thinking about that stuff is out of cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Then we have the children of those people who who this is now the 70s. So 50 years ago, the conservative resurgence happened. We have all of those people's kids now who were raised to believe the Bible, whatever interpretation of the Bible they had were told hey, this matters and we stick to the Bible. We care about the Bible. We've gotten to a point now where the children of those initial CR people are running things. And there's kind of this split where there's people who really stuck with this very narrow interpretation is what you have to believe. And it really falls into this conservative political agenda. You have to believe that in order to stay in cooperation with the SBC. Some of that, again, like we saw, we had churches that were kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for having female pastors this last annual meeting. And then we have other people who are like, wait a second, you told me that the Bible matters and this doesn't line up with the Bible. And so we're seeing this in the Southern Baptist Convention, kind of what you and me are seeing in 
all of these areas of evangelicalism where there's this deconstruction side that's like, wait a second, I thought you believed this, but you're doing this. And then there's this other side who's saying you're all just liberals who love Satan and think that sin is sexy. That's happening like large scale, in my opinion, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And unfortunately, what I believe we're watching is a squeeze of all of those people out right now that are saying, this doesn't seem like it aligns with the Bible, or can we discuss this? Is there room for nuance here? Is there room to expand this conversation to like, maybe we got it wrong about women in leadership? Or what are the things that are going to keep us in cooperation? And what I believe we're seeing is just a complete takeover of Christian nationalism of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And we're seeing it in every area. Yeah, when you and you say Christian nationalism, more of like, well, that's exactly what it is. More of the marriage of of God and politics into some sort of, you know, mission to save America first kind of mentality, or put God, yeah, put God back into places where He's been taken out of. That that lawyer said that uh, in his Twitter. I went to look at his Twitter because I I find meltdowns fascinating. <laughs> And he said that um, basically he said that Presser was a dangerous predator who exploited boys based on his power and his false piety. And he said, I wholeheartedly agree. The man's actions are of the devil. That is clear. Like, I just all of this is just sick. He's right about that. What's just fascinating is that he's the only one who named Pressler. And then in his meltdown, he kind of shucked responsibility off onto guidepost and didn't actually allow for like introspection of how the people he's currently defending are perpetuating this same mindset right now. So it was very weird, like image repair, very bizarre. And it's, it's so confusing. I've gotten actually multiple DMS on bodies behind the bus. Like, can you explain what's going on? And it's happening so rapidly that I'm having trouble keeping up with it and having real serious trouble understanding all of the webs that kind of spoke out from all of this stuff. It's really gross and so layered. Yeah. I mean, I don't know like where this all goes, honestly, because I think it it's happening so quickly. And I, I agree with John that there I, I think from a larger scale, there seems to be in churches this this unholy union that's starting to happen with its God and politics being tied together to form some sort of kind of Christian nationalist or Christian extremist movement that is to me like super frightening. And if you actually, you know, study like Jesus as a, as who he was, like he's so an opposite of who Jesus was as a person when he walked on this earth, especially growing up, the fact that Jesus grew up in the backdrop of the Roman empire, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I would say too, like, I agree that there is this pushing out of people in these churches. But then I also think like, if you're in the SBC and you have a leadership role, like now is your time to fight like hell for justice and to stand up and to stand up for your congregation and your community and to make a statement that this is, that this is wrong because we do need people in those spaces to actively engage this in a way that says this is evil and we're not about mm-hmm. this, even if it means it costs you your affiliation. Mm-hmm. Like I, 
even if it means it costs you your congregation, like now is the time more than ever where Christian leaders in these places, spaces and places need to be public about what's real. Like we need to be real about these things and talk and, and, and call it what it is. And that has to happen. Um, because if that doesn't happen, then we're just going to hurt more people because the world is watching this in a way, I think in America, like the Catholic abuse stories of, you know, when Spotlight came out in the early aughts, like this has impacted people's lives, especially the victims and those who have experienced abuse, but it is going to continue to impact people's lives inside the church who have not experienced abuse, but are watching. It's going to impact their faith. It's going to impact how they interact with God and other other people. Like it, it is a big deal, and we need those voices to speak up. So that would be my, I guess, plea. Yeah, and I mean, it's not even impacting just the people inside the church. It's impacting the nation. In my like yeah. the speaker of the house is Southern Baptist. He was the dean of Pressler's School. It's like the webs are so. <sighs> deep and it's like these claws of the Southern Baptist Convention and this corruption are in our government at this point it's actively affecting every american in your in opinion. my in my opinion <laughs> i mean he but like another example bart had posts i'm not going to make statements but guess what he what he's going to post he's going to repost pictures of an executive committee member with the speaker of the house He's going to repost all these political figures and how amazing this is. And, you know, all these the like the fight for life stuff that all of these um, Christian nationalists are really platforming their entire movement on is this like one single issue voter who's voting because of abortion. Like that's what he's reposting. This is what the Southern Baptist Convention. This is the legacy of it. And it's not just dying. I was telling Jay, you would think like scandal after scandal, this is going to start crumbling. But what is crumbling is the good guys on the inside (laughs) are crumbling. They're falling out. We've seen multiple pastors over the last week say they're leaving the SBC. They're disaffiliating because they can. Good good for them. them. I know. I, uh, I made a joke about like, welcome to the resistance because truly like us on the outside like we there are those of us on the outside that love Jesus that are fighting for justice and fighting for goodness and fighting for really this like biblical idea of this holistic care for image bearers and it's a faith that isn't built yeah. on fear and shame and politics and this idea that you and me Jay or anyone in the Southern Baptist Convention is responsible for hiding corruption in order to make sure that this mission looks good. Like that is so backwards. Or man's image. Yeah. 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 It's so backwards. It's gross. It feels very culty to me. It's gone to the next level, in my opinion. And I, if you are staying in the Southern Baptist Convention, if you are going to an SBC church right now, maybe you're at one of the good ones. Because I hear that argument a lot, like there are good ones. And I do believe you. I have a good friend who's a pastor at an SBC church, and I'm just begging you to not tithe to the corporate cooperative program. Your church sending money to the cooperative program is funding the attorneys that are doing this work. 
So your money, if you are tithing to the CP, if your tithes are going to that, you are actively participating in harming survivors of child sexual assault in Kentucky right now. And God knows where else in the country, because it's just like kind of a fluke that we found out about the one in Kentucky. So we're like, where? how many more of these are there out there? So if you're committed to staying at your church, if you're a pastor and you're committed to staying in the SBC, pull your funds. They care about money. They don't care about anything else. I'm just going to be direct with you. They don't care about anything but money. And they can't keep doing this without money. So pull your funds, make a statement, a loud statement. And if you're a congregant, you are able, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but when you tithe to, or if when you donate to any 501c3, you can designate where that money goes within that structure. The same thing is true of churches. So if you are tithing to your church and you're an SBC church, say this tithe is specifically to go to salaries. This tithe is specifically to go to childcare. This tithe is specifically go to building maintenance. Do not let your money support this. You do not want this to be on your conscience. And if you've heard this, you're now responsible for that. So do with that what you want. It's it, the ball's in your court. <laughs> The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed here are the speaker's own and not those of this podcast. This content is presented for informational and educational purposes that constitute fair use, commentary, or criticism. While we make every effort to ensure that the information shared is accurate, we welcome any comment, suggestion, or correction of errors.